This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. Engineering is the magic to invent something and entrepreneurship is that everything is possible and I think you need both to be successful. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Patrick, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks a lot, Sylvan. It's a pleasure for me as well. You're the co-founder and CEO at Let City, a clean tech startup specializing in smart lightning solutions. And before we talk about your impressive company, I want to start with your personal background. You actually studied energy and environmental engineering at the ZHAW. And it was during that time that you actually learned that lightning accounts for 12% of Switzerland's electricity consumption. Why did you actually research that topic? That's quite specific. So um, during my studies, I was just looking a bit around and I saw that um, climate change will be human's biggest challenge, I would say, in the next 30 years. So that was very interesting for me. What I was looking for is which uh, sectors are using or consuming most of the energy on the planet. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, going into transportation sector. I was looking to building sector. And these two were actually really the biggest consumer of energy. And in the transportation sector, there is Elon Musk, like already doing <laughs> very a lot. Right. So it wasn't uh, a good idea to <laughs> compete against him, I would say. So <laughs> it was already a transition. But in the building sector, I saw there is very slow transition period. So we're using technologies, in, especially in lighting, which is like 50 years old. And so I saw there is a huge potential. And then I saw that about 30% of the electricity in the building is consumed for lights. And that's about 12% of the electricity consumption in Switzerland itself. Wow. When you actually researched that, did you already have this business intention behind it, you know, to build a solution, to build a company around that? Because you were still studying back then. So I wonder what your main motivation was to actually identify these figures. <laughs> it's a good question. So actually, no, I didn't want to do a business. It was more, more like an interesting project for me. But before, um, I was doing a lot of mountain bike downhill racing. So before I started studying and there I had just a personal challenge that I had a lot of trainings at, and that first day till Sunday, I was, I was at mountain bike racing. And I didn't have time for a job and sport and studying. So I started in an online shop there. It was just for my personal um, uh, reasons. So in the beginning, yeah, I, I started during the day. In the, in the evening, I, I did the online shop. And afterwards or before I did the training. And so I, I had just that, that actually break me, broke me into the business. Um, but nothing with, with that afterwards. Yeah. So you sort of became an entrepreneur out of necessity because you wanted to finance your study, but also be 
you know, time-wise a bit more independent and flexible to make your income. Exactly. So at the end, it was really the freedom, but that was more a personal goal. And then afterwards I saw, okay, my long-term business career should be more something with an impact. I wanted to do something which is really meaningful for everyone and not just for me. Right. So that's why I went then more into the climate tech field. So there's the impact, there's the necessity at first with the online shop. Do you have any other motivators that led to your entrepreneurial drive? Do you have like any entrepreneurs in your family that inspired you or where does the drive come from on top of these two already very strong motivators? I would say no, um, because there was also all a bit new for me. So I really came out of, of nothing. But uh, what helped afterwards was more to talk with friends which are doing similar things. But also in the beginning, I didn't have a, a big startup network, but that evolved over time, I would say. Right. And yeah, let's jump to your, you know, then impact career, impact entrepreneurial career. You actually co-founded Let City together with uh, Florian Gartner. And where do you actually meet each other for the first time? Because I think you share quite some history together as co-founders. Yes, exactly. So we also both did uh, mountain bike racing and he was next to that also organizer of uh, four cross mountain biking events. And so he did like the timing of the, of the racing. And we also did once together a side job and he was also responsible for all the technical uh, things, things at the event. And I always saw that he was very talented in uh, solving all the problems we had on the events. And he was always responsible for everything. And then next to that, I also realized that he was an electrical engineer. He was a researcher, a very good researcher at the Paul Scher Institute, which is an ETH uh, research institution, the biggest one in Switzerland, especially also for energy and environmental technologies. Mm -hmm. So then once I, I talked to him and said, we need to do something together. And yeah, actually, I just picked him up uh, after work and then we were walking over a bridge uh, through a village and we just saw everywhere was light turned on <laughs> and there was uh that doesn't make it too hard for me to to say to him look that's a business opportunity because we, i could also show him a bit the numbers about like one light source as an example is consuming like energy for 50 swiss francs mm -hmm. and then we saw if we can upgrade this light source with a more efficient one we can have a short payback and that was like the business opportunity behind it. Great. So he was the problem solver that you knew from back in the days, you shared some history together, but then on that really personal level, you know, now we, we of course covered the skills, but on a personal level, what makes you a good co-founding team? Did you like talk about any shared values or is that something that you just feel it feels right? Do you have a good gut feeling? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit the complementary skills. I think as you also have it um, lot in the in the in the uh, podcast here. I think I, right. that I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always very important to have uh, different backgrounds of the founders. And he was more the research, the going more into the detail. And was also been from the engineering part, but more on let's do it and uh, sell it also a bit because I mm -hmm. also jumped afterwards into sales. Right. So yeah, it's a great combination when it comes to the skills. Exactly. Yeah. And would you say that it, it helps or it's even necessary to have that shared past together that you also know each other as a person before actually starting a company together? I would say so, yeah, because I hear it can be pro a problem, but actually I think for us it was better because if you know someone over sport, it's always a very easy right. intro and you're feeling better and it's, it's right. just you're on the same level, same wave. And uh, I would say it makes it easier in our case, at least. Absolutely. 
So now you mentioned this famous walk over the bridge and to the village. You saw all the lights on. What did you then do? I, I guess at a certain point in time, you then also had to develop a prototype. So how did you then come up with the first prototype and actually build a product around the idea, the business idea that you shared with him? Yes. So in the beginning, um, actually, the output of the bachelor thesis was a, a, a prototype, but it was very a very low level prototype. So then when I met him, he helped me to bring it to a serial product. Mm -hmm. And I myself went then to China to find production partners. And he was uh, doing all the, the development of the product. And so then we te uh, teamed there up. I broke a bit the production side from China. He had the skills from doing the product. And then we started with that and started very early also to, to go directly to customers. Yes, that's a bit uh, the beginning. And I also want to talk about the product itself because you claim you can cut down energy spending by up to 90%. That's massive. That's a huge game changer. So how do you exactly make that happen? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So. There was also a bit coming from the beginning. So when I was looking on these sectors where to save most of the energy, then I really also saw in lighting, you cannot save like three or 4%. It's like really 90% and that's massive. So how do we do that? So when you look on a classical um, lighting system, you see that you have mostly one or two sensors in a room and that doesn't give you the flexibility to control lights very precisely. It just is also made or developed to notice if someone is in the room, yes or no, and then you just turn light on or off. Yeah. But actually during the day, there is happening a lot more, even if you're talking from these buildings, which have a huge area, so you don't need to have everywhere the same light level. You need to adopt that very precisely, decentralized actually. So that's why we put in each light source sensors and a mini computer, so they can calculate very precisely in each location, what light level do we need. And then on top of that, we built a completely new software because if you build a new decentralized system against like a central control, like said before, where you control with one sensor, like 10 lights, mm -hmm. um, it's completely different because the lights are influencing each other. So when the sun is coming or clouds, then one light thinks, okay, now it gets dark. So it turns a bit like, let's say from 30 to 60% um, light level, mm -hmm. but the neighbor light thinks, oh, night gets bright, I need to go down. So they're influencing, then mm -hmm. you have a disco in the room at the end. So you yeah. need to completely rethink the lighting system itself. And that was actually the challenge, which we're now uh, researching like four years behind it. And that's actually also our value proposition, which we have in um, comparison to other lighting systems. This sounds like very smart lightning but probably not the smart lightning that you know from you know the do-it-yourself supermarket. Can you elaborate a bit more about that term? Because your lightning obviously is smart but by what you just described, but it's not this fancy, colorful thing that you can just control from your smartphone. It's yeah. much, much more than that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a bit the thing. I think in marketing, we use very often the word smart lightning today, but I think that the systems haven't really changed. They're more or less maybe wireless that's happened the last years, yeah. and they transitioned to, to LED as a light source. But behind light, the LED light source, we see also the problem as an example, just, just deep dive a bit there deeper because maybe somehow people think that sure. with LED you solve the problem. But we say, see that there is a rebound effect. So if you have more efficient lights, people just buy more lights or install more lights, higher brightness, and at the end you're having the same energy consumption. That's what we see in practice. And on the other side, um, by smart, like that, people just use wireless products, but at the end, the, 
the provider, the people which are installing the lights, they need to do the setup process. And that's in the industry very complicated. So you need to go to the light, you need to configure it. So you mm -hmm. put actually your intelligence into the system, but in the system, there is no intelligence itself. And that's where we see the, the really difference where we need to, to build value, to bring intelligence into the system itself. And by the system that you described before, you know, the sensors and basically the microcomputer in every light, that also sounds pretty expensive. <laughs> is that uh, the right assumption from the outside or is that just, you know, so efficient and, you know, so much saving costs that this doesn't even matter? Yeah, you're in the right way, I would say. It's really that... That's what also the industry is saying. Sensors are too expensive for that. So mm -hmm. that's also why they didn't start with that very early. Yeah. But we see the sensor costs go down. And what we see is the value of the data behind it. And you see also the data as the new oil is more valuable. So if you have sensor data, and I mean, you have lights everywhere in the building. So mm -hmm. you have sensor data from everywhere in the building. And with that, you can not only reduce energy consumptions, which is also a very good economic uh, solution, but on the other side, you can also track uh, humans in the building. As an example, if you have a cleaning service, you need to know where you need to clean. If you have a room where there's no one inside, you don't need to clean it, actually. So that helps you to reduce that cost. Yeah. Or on the other side, like security systems, as an example, you have sometimes in business buildings, security is walking through the buildings. But if you have everywhere sensors, you don't need that anymore, or at least it helps you to make the, the process more efficient. This is amazing. I, I love when this happens in interviews, right? Because now you basically see this is so much more beyond lightning than what we just talked about. Security, cleaning, etc. You can do so much more with the data that you actually gather. So that's really, really powerful stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So we have exactly in the investor slide, we have one slide called Beyond Lighting. Nice. <laughs> but that's really a nice and good topic as well. Yeah. And I also want to talk about your customers. You directly opted for B2B clients, for business customers, instead of going to the private sector. Why was that the right choice for you? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's just a lot more scalable for us. So our vision is really to have a big impact. It doesn't uh, help us if we have like three or four houses uh, retrofitted. Right. Yeah. Uh, and climate change will not change or more or less because of that. So our idea is to find clients which uh, own real, uh, real estate portfolios. So we're talking to uh, real estate asset managers and they have like hundreds of, of real estates mm -hmm. and that's where you can really have an impact. And that's also easier for us, like saying, in support. So when we have one contact person and we have an error, I'm not saying that let's say you have any quality issues, but at the end it can happen. And then we can have one, one person which we can talk to and we can right. solve the problem. If you have like hundreds of houses which you need to go through and, and make yeah. some things, then it, it takes a lot more time. And the other thing is also that the requirements in the private sector are completely different than the business once because at home you want to make it romantic you want to have a red light or True. orange light or something yeah. and in business it's more about lowering costs uh, energy yeah. costs maintenance costs i guess it's also an easier marketing then because your case is very much focused on the saving cost aspect so it's probably a way easier sell exactly so it's we're green but we're very much on the money because otherwise right. you don't have a chance to to make it scalable at yeah. the end yeah so nowadays you have actually customers like Zurich Airport or famous hotels, ETH. But of course, that wasn't always the case. And we also know that it can be quite difficult in the early days to get started to win the first clients. One of your first customers was actually a luxury hotel in Zurich. 
And we read when we did our research that they almost tanked the negotiations. So can you talk a bit more about these early days, how that deal then was saved by you? <laughs> yes. So to be honest, I mean, we're just very bad salespeople, I would say, because we really started, I mean, the, the first person in sales was actually our accountant. But then we realized if you don't sell, we don't need an accountant anymore. Right. So he jumped into <laughs> sales. Then he started this project. I was also more an engineer and don't had any idea about sales processes. But then we realized that we need to talk more about what is really the value because we wanted this customer because it's a five-star hotel. And if we can get this customer, we can go to other uh, hotels. Sure. Yeah. It was very important for us. That was also a bit the problem because we called just too much. Yeah. <laughs> so we so you really, were desperately looking yeah, for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's never good if you do that with a customer. Yeah. So then we, we started negotiating and we saw that actually he was also interested in some topics. So we built a bit of package. What can he give us? What can we give him? Mm -hmm. And at the end, it was just a win-win situation. And then we found, again, <laughs> the way to close the deal. But in the yeah. beginning, we were just really calling, 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 not thinking about what is really the value. What, sh what do we want, actually? Right. What is the customer wanting? Yeah. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you're an entrepreneur looking to raise your first round and would like to learn more about the fundraising process, check out our free fundraising masterclass with Pascal Koenig and Sophie Lomporter, available on our website. With videos, text breakdowns, and lots of free resources, Pascal and Sophie take you through the entire fundraising journey in 10 exciting phases. Learn more at swisspreneur.org forward slash fundraising. I think you're touching up on a few very important points there. So first of all, sales. I think that's just something that we are not naturally good at here in Switzerland because we more often focus on the technical solution, the features and not the value. So how did you also, you know, train yourself? Did you, you know, find any good resources or any help or did you talk to other founders? What helped you to then get better at this sales game or was it just really trial and error and continue, you know, trying? <laughs> I think it was really more of a trial and error session. So because we didn't have the skills in the company in the beginning for a very good sales process. I mean, over time, we learned it the hard way, but it was also very good because then you're, I mean, it's also a bit authentic. So you're with the customer, right. he's trusting you, you're trusting him. It's more a bit of a friendship. And that's what I learned afterwards is also what is sales about. So you mm -hmm. need to make friendships with, with all your clients and yeah, you don't need to, but I mean, it makes it fun. Helps. At yeah. the end, it's like about also living a good life and having a good time with your clients yeah. together. And I think that's also by reading books, talking to friends, um, also yeah. by building up the sales team, talking to your employees, what they learned, what we learned, and mm -hmm. then bring all together and make summaries and, and learn from this. And I can also imagine when you hit these first setbacks, you know, when a things don't go according to plan or you come with your innovative technology and you think, well, this is so good. Everybody needs to, to want that, right? But then you face the tough market, the reality, and they say, well, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. So they are less enthusiastic about the product than you are. Why do you not give up at that point and just say, well, we tried, it's not working. Let's stop it. <laughs> yeah, very good point. So in the beginning, it's really like you think it pays for itself. Why do they don't want that for, I mean, They're they, so stupid. they, should, they, get they should get it. <laughs> <laughs> but then you really realize that behind these companies, they have other problems, they have processes. Yeah. And yeah, I think 
you don't should take that too personal. And I think always also, if you have a strong vision, you get motivated by itself. Yeah. I would say there you have a bit of an issue if you have a startup where you don't really, I, I would say, if it's a bit, if the impact or, or the motivation behind it is not that big, I think yeah. long term, you will always have a bit of a negotiation yeah. with yourself after three or four years. I don't know how long it takes. But in, in this case, it was really, we were so motivated and that, that helps a lot. And yeah, for me itself, it was also like doing sport, reflecting, going out um, and also sometimes zoom out of your life and see that in the world there exists a lot bigger problems than you're facing. So um, if you grew up in Africa or somewhere, it's a completely different life. And we're talking here always about uh, luxus problems. So I would say uh, just see positive at the end and go through it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what, what you mentioned, you know, the motivation, why do you do what you do? And also, if you're sort of solving your own problem, that's what we also often hear on the podcast. I think these are exactly the motivators that then keep you going in these moments instead of giving up. Because if you just do it for the money or whatever, that would be the moment. First, tough resistance. It's not going to work. Okay, I do something else. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it's completely like that, I'd say. It's like a marathon. It's not like a sprint. So yeah. you need to think long term about your really big goals and, and focus on that. Yeah. Absolutely. I also want to talk about, you know, financing, because, of course, with your setup, you also have the hardware component, obviously. So you also need some capital to actually make that work. So you're not the classic ETH spin-off, basically, because there's not, you know, that much research behind it. You know, you have just a great product with a huge business value. So how do you actually then finance everything? Because if you have research that's backing up your case, it's probably easier to raise funds. If you don't have that, that can be more of a challenge. Oh, yes, that was a challenge. So in the beginning, we very often hear like there is Osram, there is Philips in this market. There's even Siemens like in the building automation. So we're competing against a lot of uh, big, yeah. big players. But actually, we know that the issue is so big, the problem is so big, and the climate change will give more pressure over time into this topic. Mm -hmm. So we saw we just need to stick on it. And at the end, what we did is going more for research grants. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Office of Energy paid us uh, grants. Then we get from Climate Foundation grants that really helped a lot to set up the company in the beginning. And then we really also bootstrapped a lot. So we really were very capital efficient. So that also helped us laterwards, I would say, because it's, it makes you just to a very efficient company at the mm -hmm. end. And yeah, laterwards, then we had the chance to raise an equity round. And additionally to that, we also raised money from the technology fund or to say they gave us the security to go, go to debt at the end. Right. And then we could raise over two millions. But that was mostly a bit for the cash flow and also to help us grow faster. But actually with bootstrapping, because we, we started like that, we were so effective that um, we can even grow like 80, 90, 100% uh, without external capital. And wow. But still, I mean, the opportunities in the clean tech field are very good. And so we, we take the chance and grow even faster. That, that's a bit to go. Of course. But I can imagine, like, personally, if you do a hardware startup and you bootstrap, that's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, you have to make some certainly very tough trade-offs. Yes, that's that's really right. I mean, I would never say it's easy 
any business is hard. And I mean, we have hardware and software, so it's right. even the combination. And it's also not easy to find software engineers, yeah. even also not hardware engineers. So it's a bit of both sides and sales as well. But what we did then is really to reduce the costs in all fields. So that made us maybe a bit slower. But at the end, we learned also a lot during this process. So as an example, in the beginning, I think four years ago in 2017, when we founded the company, um, I first wanted to check if you turn lights on and off all the time, thus the, the hardware has problems with that. So I built like a small machine in the laundry room in our uh, shared flat <laughs> and I coated it with aluminium that the sensor inside doesn't see through the box. Yeah. And yeah, the friends just thought, what am I doing here? But at the end, it was like an investment of 10 Swiss francs to get an answer, which would be if you do in a laboratory, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think we did a lot of things like that. Also in the beginning, we, we had the products, we had the customer, but we needed to ship it to the customer, the poster, or we had such large um, packages. So we needed to, to find a solution to bring it to them. So we went to Jumbo, bought wheels, made by ourselves a trolley and roll it to the customer and next to us were trucks <laughs> parking to yeah, customers bringing all the material and we were there by foot <laughs> so that was a bit uh, how we started and yeah afterwards there was also good service from Sheru, the, mm. the app where you can uh, rent private trucks and cars and then we we went to the next level like sharing or renting trucks mm -hmm. and then drive drove it to the customers so that's a bit of the bootstrap phase. I mean, we paid maybe 50 or 100 Swiss francs for the truck and we saved maybe two or 300 bucks for, for sure. not going into a service. And yeah, it helped us, made it us a bit slower, but at the end it was a, a lot of experience in fields like that. I think these are these really great entrepreneurial stories, you know, where it's probably also a mindset question, right? Where you really focus on these two, 300 bucks that you don't spend to extend your runway because you basically look at every penny that you spend in that <laughs> exactly. phase. Yeah, and still, I mean, four years uh, later now, we're still for, for laboratory devices. I mean, as an example, we have a sensor which we need to test, or the radar, mm -hmm. and we have a toy train which is driving left and right and left in front of the sensor that's yeah. automated. Uh, so the, the engineers built a very cool machine there to test nice. sensors. And if you go to a laboratory, you pay, yeah. I don't know, thousands or even 10,000 to to rent this room uh, yeah. to make your tests there. So you basically, even after raising your first round and also getting additional money in through the grants and everything, you still benefit from that mindset that you had early on. <laughs> yes, sure. Now, now we have a bit of money and we have the efficiency. Exactly. And with that, you have, a, I would say, a very good growth rate at the end. Yeah. Yes. It's funny because just before you came here, I had a call with a friend and he also mentioned, well, Back in my, my first startup, we made the mistake of taking on too much money too early. Mm. And I think you are the perfect counter example to that story <laughs> where you have a lasting positive effect by going bootstrapped and really focusing on the expenses and don't spending money on stuff that you don't need. Yeah. yeah. If, if you look back, is there something where you say, say, like, I wish we had spent more money there or we were less strict to spend money in the bootstrapping mode? <laughs> yeah, totally. So I would say there were a lot of things like that. So actually, we were maybe a bit too ex extreme in this okay. field. But uh, I would say there are different cases where we, from the beginning, could invest more. And at the end, it would just make yeah. us faster. I would say that's that's a learning which we had like, afterwards. Is that, for example, when it comes to hiring or what would be your top pick in that category? 
Yes. So hiring is also a very interesting topic. Now we'd also say they're investing a lot makes a lot of sense. Um, so now we're also looking with external recruiter to, to uh, make this process quicker. But still, this is also a very <laughs> expensive topic. If yeah, you invest, course. you can invest a lot of money into this field. But yeah, we just take it uh, in general very seriously, this process, because we think if you have the right motivated people with the right mindset and the skills and the ability yeah. to learn, I think you can do unbelievable things at the end. Yeah. And so we, uh, we just invest a lot of time into this topic and money as well. Yeah. And how do you actually hire the people? I mean, now you mentioned an external recruiter. Are you looking for people just inside of Switzerland or do you also hire from abroad? Um, yeah, we do both. So we have um, offices in Spain as well as in Germany. And uh, now I think where we can hire the best people to, you know, everything having in Switzerland, because that's very expensive at the end. Right. So to, to allocate your, your resources. And anyway, we want also to expand to these countries because the electricity prices in Germany and Spain are going through the roof. So for our yeah. system, it's even uh, better to sell it there. There we actually should really... <laughs> You should have it really easy to sell, but we will see that now in the next month. So we, we started the office yeah. and having now the first people there uh, working for us. Yeah. Very exciting times ahead. <laughs> yes. So if you look at the numbers, you know, you just crossed 3 million revenue, annual revenue. I think that's super impressive to what you built there in such a short amount of time. You closed your successful founding round. And I guess you're pretty confident about the future, you know, with the rising energy costs, there will be a stronger and stronger need for your solution. So what is next for you? What's next for Let City? <laughs> yes, sure. So on the product side, um, we're developing now a sensor module to also go a bit not away from the light source, but the light source yeah. is very interesting, but you have your form factor, you have a hardware that so we want to make it smaller, br bring into a small sensor and then selling these sensors to put them or integrate them into other light sources so that you can go to all form factors you need you can go from a garage to an office to a corridor everywhere you want nice. so that makes it more scalable as well and on the other side we worked now the last and this year on software update functionality so now it's a bit like in a tesla and we can make the the lights better over time mm -hmm. and that also helps us to go international because we don't need to go on site all the time so we can send updates from switzerland and that was a very important milestone wow. yeah big one Yes, and with that, we now also can uh, develop the software services like set the security or cleaning services and uh, upgrade this in recurring models to the customer at the end. Um, I would say that's a bit on the product side. And on the financial side, we're also, like like said, our mission is to, to make global, <laughs> to make it big. So we're also looking there for uh, investments. And actually, how we want to solve is it a bit mixed. So on the one side, we have uh, revenues. and the other side, we have an equity investing, which we're planning. Mm -hmm. And they really want to team up with investors, which have also real estate portfolios, because then you have like a win-win yeah. situation. We can help make them the portfolios more efficient. And they can help us with, with uh, money for growth and everything. And we were also thinking about working again with technology fund as well as debt. Yeah. Um, to have the most efficient uh, way of <laughs> capital at the end. And now, since you have investors on board, I guess you must also think a potential exit scenario because one day they want to see a return on their investment. So you have any thoughts that you can share on the potential exit of Let City? <laughs> at the moment, we don't have plans in these directions. 
Um, but it's always, I mean, we're open to talk to other companies to look how we can uh, collaborate at the end, because if it's mission driven so that we can have a bigger impact, I mean, it's always good for both sides to scale, to bring this technology onto the market. So we're open to discuss uh, with, with other companies where it should go. Open, but not proactive. Yes, exactly. Perfect. So before we wrap up today's conversation, I would also like to ask you about some personal resources and gadgets that you can recommend to our listeners. I'm, I'm sure you, you as a former professional sportsman, you have plenty of gadgets and stuff that you can share. <laughs> yes. So I'd say just, just doing sports and, uh, and competition, it, it helped me a lot, but I would not say that I have a book or something behind that. Right. But generally, I think also books uh, about Elon Musk and all these big visions, I think that's very interesting, gives you inspiration. Um, also, talking to a lot of startup friends and I'm always doing like rotating uh, lunches. Nice. So I have with all my friends a bit like once a month uh, lunches and then we always um, give information to each other and I'll listen a bit to what is the other doing, what for problems are they doing. That helps also a lot to build a bit the network and it's also very interesting. Um, and yes, the third one is, I would say, the Swisspreneur podcast. <laughs> it's always a bit boring to say that again, but I really think that here you get a lot of inspiration. So all the founders have a bit different um, backgrounds and it's always interesting. And also that it's like a lo location-based, so you have everything from Switzerland. So the ecosystem here is strong and I, I think to listen more about that is very interesting. Thank you very much. That's really good to hear. <laughs> We also prepared some rapid fire questions for you. So I either gave you different options to choose from or a quick question you have to answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Sure, yes. What is your biggest ecological sin? So my sports are uh, a bit extreme. So I often take the, or sometimes take the airplane. Yeah. I'd say that one. Fair point. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Seven hours. Sports or entrepreneurship? I would say the combination <laughs> without entrepreneurship. Uh, no, I, I, I need both. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Or ask differently, engineer or entrepreneur? That's or is that also a combination? Very good, tricky questions. But I would also say it's, it's a combination because, uh, yeah, engineering and entrepreneurship, engineering is the magic to invent something and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is that everything is possible. And I think you need both to be successful. At right. Time. Yeah. It's like somebody needs to build the product and one other person needs to sell it, right? Yes, exactly. Bootstrapping or VC money? Because I already did the bootstrapping quite a lot, I would say now I'm, I'm curious to learn a bit more about the VC uh, game yeah. and, and this way. And do you have any major professional regrets or something that you wish you'd done differently so far? Um, Sometimes I just think, uh, take a bit more time to also reflect and look back what you did uh, the years. And it's always very, uh, yeah, but just grateful what, what's possible to do in Switzerland and, and everything and all, all together the ecosystem. It's a bit easy to lose track of your progress, right? If you always see the next to do on your list instead of looking back in appreciation of exactly. what, where you've actually come from, right? That's the thing, yes, yeah. yes. And the last one for you today, lake or mountains? <laughs> you got me completely. I think whew, that's also... I gave you tough choices today. <laughs> because, I mean, from sports, I'm uh, in downhill. So it was my uh, last 10 years, I would say. And now the yeah. 
I'm also very into kite surfing. <laughs> that's completely so. It's again both a mix, I guess. Then again, yes. Yeah. I think maybe that's that's the lesson out of the podcast. It's always a bit of a mix. <laughs> <laughs> the mix makes at the end a good thing out of it. Yes. Right, Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Impressive what you've built with Lead City and. All the best and lots of success for the future. Thanks a lot, Silvan. It was a pleasure to be here and all the best for you as well. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>